Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. In the latter stages of my mother's life, she needed help, and thankfully my brother was nearby, and a tremendous help to her, and a source of much gratitude from me. The fact he was also a local doctor and a family practitioner was a bonus. Support was wide and varied and included maintenance of her house, changing bulbs, fixing things, and helping in a multitude of ways. My mother lived alone in a flat, and while there were neighbours, and she did manage to get out, my brother was there every week, not just to help fix things, but also providing company and social support. This was all BC, also known as Before Covid, a pandemic that shone a bright light on many of the areas of our world and society that were struggling, and in many cases added or amplified challenges and workload. This pressure intensified the workload on many in our society, placing more home and family commitments on individuals responsible for the family, and that work was not always evenly distributed. Our population is shifting older as we live longer, birth rates decline, and people have fewer children and wait longer before having children. This means there are fewer people available to be the village that we all need supporting our place in the community. This is all taking place in the backdrop of increasing stress and burnout at work, something especially acute for frontline staff that included healthcare workers and first responders and many other people who worked in essential roles, some of which we did not recognize or understand. Think of supermarket workers as one of the many examples we all learned how important they are to our village and community. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Alexandra Drain, She's the Chief Executive Officer and co-founder of Archangels, an organization that's changing the conversation and bringing real and lasting impact to our village and community. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the show. I am incredibly honored to be here, Nick. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. So you've started a company, amongst many other things that you've done uh, in a storied career, and you're focused on caregivers. We've seen the pandemic shine a spotlight on a whole range of areas, but one of the major challenges that has been foisted on family and friends is how do we support people, particularly in this isolated circumstance that we were forced into, and it's just gotten worse. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people are often surprised to hear is our most recent data pegs at literally 43% of adults in the U.S. right now are in this role. 
And I think people have an idea. So when we're talking about caregivers, we're talking about unpaid caregivers. So that could be friends. It could be family. It could be loved ones. Um, could be neighbors. It could be fellow faith-based community members, right? It fits any um, definition. And I think the thing that matters most is it's somebody who's caring. And that care can take the traditional um, perspective we think of, oh, my mother or father with Alzheimer's moved in. But it can literally, literally be anything as broad as I'm the one who's picking up food. I'm the one who's shoveling the yard. I'm the one who's making sure that somebody's light goes off at night and their shades open up in the morning because I'm looking across the way and I'm ready to leap into action if they're not. So I think it's really important that we all carry with us. There is a default presumption that an unpaid caregiver is a 46-year-old woman who's caring for her mom and that's right and she is, but she's also so much more. Interesting you bring up the 46-year-old mother because I think the stats are pretty clear here. This disproportionately affected women who end up, and I'm, I will say, I call out to my brother who ended up being the caregiver for my elderly parents. Um, we're a family of three boys, so maybe there was no choice, no problem, but that was unusual. Do you think we're going to see more of a shift that will spread this, or is this just the the natural genesis of the way that caring has been delivered for so long? Well, so I want to challenge a couple of, uh, um, of, of ideas as it comes to, again, back to what is unpaid caregiving. Unpaid caregiving could be, I'm the one who's coordinating the payment of bills, handling bill paying. I am, and it's very difficult to talk about gender specific roles because there's so many presumptions that go into it. I do, I can share that the data suggests anywhere from 40 to 45 to 50% of unpaid caregivers as of COVID are men. It's just that our definition of what makes up those roles is expanding. And I would also come back to, well, how has the intensity, we use the term intensity of caregiving changed over COVID? So before COVID, the best study by National Alliance for Caregiving and AARP said it was 22% of adults were in this role. And I just share with you now, we know it's 43%. Mm-hmm. And as the work is expanded and the people who are doing the work is expanded, uh, associated to that, what those jobs are is expanded. So too has the level of intensity. So Archangels has a metric, caregiver intensity, that puts somebody in the green, yellow, or red. If you are in the red, over 90% of us have at least one significant mental health impact. Before COVID, 8% of us were in the red. As of COVID, that jumped to 24%. And I will tell you, Nick, in the last six, and it held steady at 24%. In the last six weeks, it's gone to 29%. In the last three days, it's gone to 31%. So at a time that many of us were beginning to think, oh, COVID, it's releasing in some way, shape or form. This will be great for everybody, not necessarily for unpaid caregivers, because all the jobs that they're responsible for, they're actually not going away. And as the infrastructure that supports unpaid caregiving continues to crumble, crumble, as things like inflation, as the cost of groceries go up, as cost of gas goes up, in a world of limited resources, on average, an unpaid caregiver is spending $7,000 more a year to do this job for which they are unpaid. And so I think you see this level of intensity picking up. 
and also the people who are jumping in to get the work done, expanding way beyond our traditional definition of what an unpaid caregiver is. So I'm going to take the positive in there and say, well, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear the expansion of that to others. And maybe that's just we counted them because we weren't counting them correctly. Um, but, you know, there's clearly within that a, a, a downside to individuals and our society that is already burnt out, uh, you know, commonly used phrase currently that suggests that people are struggling just with work, and now you're loading something that in this instance is taking place at home in the time that you're supposed to be recovering. You mentioned something that sort of triggers my thinking around this, is the abilities to find better ways of support, not just by resources. So we could throw resources, have caregivers, you know, paid support, but there's technology. You talked about noticing if somebody has the lights on. Is there some capacity to start to drive a better process that can relieve some of that pressure so that that intensity index will fall and we'll start to move back into line? Yeah, absolutely. And I love your idea that we could throw resources at it. Good Lord, everybody, let's throw resources at this. I am all in. You know, there aren't really. There is not. There is a, a scarcity everywhere right now, as you know all too well. So. I do believe that there is a role that people can play. And that role goes from everything with just beginning with the awareness that this role exists. Because one of the things that we hear more often than anything else as it relates to being an unpaid caregiver is, I'm not a caregiver. I am just. And then the words that come after are so beautiful. I'm just a daughter. I'm just a God-fearing neighbor. I'm just a friend. I'm just a husband. And so if you don't see yourself in this role, then even if we had built 800 million gabillion resources to support you, you're not going to avail yourself of them. So job number one is we really have to shape, thank you for using the term positive, in a positive way. The term caregiver is confusing. Does that mean my doctor? Does it mean my nurse? What, do, what, what does that have to do with me? As you look at specific populations, it becomes even insulting, right? Like, you can't call me that. I am very proud to be the daughter or whatever it might be. So part of what we're really working to do is say, let's not just destigmatize this role. Let's not just normalize the reality that this role exists for at least half the population or coming on up to half the population. Let's actually celebrate it. Let's reframe it to say these unpaid caregivers are badass warrior angels, right? They are doing, they are literally the invisible backbone of our country. I like to make the joke. It's not a joke. If unpaid caregivers went on strike, we could bring the whole country to its knees, but we would never go on strike. Why? Because we care. We wouldn't do it. So the reality of first and foremost, if we build it, will they come? No, they're not because they don't see themselves in this role. So we got to reframe that image we have and we got to be proactive and seeking out, not for an unpaid caregiver to self-identify. It's we as community and culture to create ecosystems that are so lush with caregiver support that this individual can't help but be seen. The role that you are in, what did everyone around you was like, dude, you are full on in this and your brothers as well. And we see you and we are just going to fill your fridge. We know caregivers want to ask for help. So we're just bringing that help to you. Okay. Well, what help does exist? Well, help exists in everything from every single state, some way better than others. They do have resources that exist. They're not always entitled caregiver support, but it might be in the form of a Meals on Wheels of access to a social worker, access to financial advice, access to um, 
you know, advice around advanced illness, all the way over to the biggest employers, at least most regularly have an employee assistance program. But most people aren't using these employee assistance programs because they have stigmas associated with it. So we work in employers to say, unbundle what is hidden under that employee assistance program, because we know what's going to help you with navigation. We know what's going to help you with, I need daycare. I need senior daycare. By the way, what an insulting term, senior daycare. By the way, I can tell you, if I told my dad, hey, daddy, I'm sending you to senior daycare, he would stab me, literally. He'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. Longer discussion. So I think part of what we need to be doing is looking at this language, looking at the way we're making this feel like something aspirational, and then take the resources that do exist and rebrand them, remarket them so that I, as an unpaid caregiver, know they exist and feel okay, actually even wonderful about accessing them. And that I, as an individual who's being supported by them, feels good about it, as opposed to, obviously, I have a problem because I'm accessing the EAP. Yeah, I, I, I like starting with the words. It's, it, it's funny, you hear that a lot, and I, I, I hear it discounted a lot that, you know, words matter, but they do. The, the naming conventions, we've done a very poor job in many areas. Medicine's not, <laughs> it has been complicit, certainly in, in terminology that we've used that, you know, has history that, in hindsight, you look at and say, well, that was not the right thing. So starting there, and at the community level, my sense of this is that it used to be founded on a community. We, were, we lived in smaller communities. People used to live and die within 50 miles. That's less the case. Do we need to get back to that? Has, has the pandemic helped us drive that? And if it has, how do we help support that with other resources? You talked about resources and employers. They're in the game. They're part of this whether you like it or not. And, you know, I have views about that, but accepting that as an is, how do we capitalize on these other folks that can really bring resources to bear? As an example, everybody lives within 15 minutes of a pharmacy, or not everybody, the vast majority. That's a very good local resource. Is it being utilized? And can we capitalize on that? I think we completely capitalize on it. And I would say, it, I love that employers have an extraordinary role to play here. And they are increasingly aware that the number two most oft cited reason for somebody quitting their job is because they are an unpaid caregiver. And I will tell you, they don't want to quit their job. Most unpaid caregivers for them work as respite. Not only is it providing financial support, but it's providing respite. It's their place that they can go and get things done and feel productive and feel like they have purpose, which is not to say that they don't love their job as an unpaid caregiver. It's to say that that's a second job and it's a lot as well. But your point. So, yes, employers, please step up, do your job. Reach out to Archangels. We have a very straightforward platform that can exist to support you that is very, very um, low in terms of the lift that it takes for somebody. And so, too, does exist in these communities a bunch of resources that can be supporting someone. You know, any community will have some sort of palliative care, for example. I always say one of the greatest gifts you can give a caregiver who is supporting somebody through an advanced illness is a palliative care consult. Because they're really going to understand what is it that you as an individual need. Um, we hear all the time from um, folks that we're supporting who've had to leave their job that one of their biggest frustrations, and this is especially true in rural communities, it's especially true in, in communities that will have less access, 
I need help navigating. I have no idea how to, I'm on hold for an hour here. I don't know who to call there. And I think one of the things that communities can be doing to step up is to get individuals access to those navigators. And those navigators could even be in the form of people who are volunteering. Because if anybody has been in that unpaid caregiver role, they are now an expert in how to survive it. So one of the things Archangels is working on is something called Archangels Work, which literally is saying to an unpaid caregiver who can often feel shame because they'll say, well, I was out of work for five years, right? No, you were not. You had an incredibly important job. You were a financial assistant. You were a um, physical therapist. You were a chef, a navigator, an innovator. Put that on your resume. Feel great about the fact that you did this job. An employer should be fighting over themselves to hire you. When, by the way, because you learned skills, you learned how to care. We live in a care economy. When an unpaid caregiver has lost the person that they're caring for, many people think, oh, your unpaid caregiver job is done. Heck freaking no. That is actually when the hardest phase of caregiving begins. For so many reasons, when you're grieving, we don't do a job, good job supporting grief in this country. And number two, the administrivia that the system throws at you for whether you're closing out the life and estate and values of, and the belongings of somebody who had traditionally, as we would describe it, few resources to someone who has extensive resources. It's a huge freaking job. You're not supporting it. And then the last component, which gets back to this volunteering is, I will tell you, I've seen it in my own family and with all my dear friends and loved ones. When that person that you loved has died, that was a job you did with love. And it was hard. And sometimes you cursed it, but it also gave you a great sense of purpose. It filled you up. And now you have this empty thing in your life, right? There's a beautiful quote about love that says, where you were, there's a hole in the ground. And I walk around it during the day and I fall into it at night. That's the definition of what happens for unpaid caregivers. Well, what if we could take that unpaid caregiver who through that experience is now an expert, who now has no you know, avenue to apply that expertise and say, wait, we can use you. You become a community expert. You become the local expert to help unpaid caregivers. What we really should do is pay that individual a lot for that expertise. They don't have a degree, they don't have a formal certification, but what they have is skills-based learning. So how can we find those individuals, give them that sense of purpose, and in a perfect world, start freaking paying them? I, I, I love the concept. I think the, the ability to capitalize on that and generate learning and knowledge and transfer that knowledge, which used to happen in our, you know, smaller village-like environments. You see it in some communities. Maybe that's part of the, uh, the, the blue communities that people talk about that helps extend life um, and also provides that compassion and support because when you feel useful, you have less time to focus on that negativity. Um, I, I, as I think about all of this, I'm sure there are some people that listen and say, yeah, but I, I've not got that problem. I don't see that problem. And it, it always brings me back to something that I believe in. And I know you not only do you believe in it, but you practice it, you've delivered on it. And it's walking a day in the shoes. Do you think that's an essential part? Because essentially, that's what those caregivers are. They've walked those days, and but that was through no choice. Do you think we need to expose and deliver? Is, is, should it be part of a sort of community requirement almost? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and you know what I would say is for a lot of individuals, I always say I feel like we have two personalities. The personality we bring to work or to our professional aspect of our life. 
and the personality that we have at home. And what happens when people talk about anything that might feel a little uncomfortable, like care, like love, is they put it in the box that I'm going to talk about it professionally. I'm going to draw on a whiteboard boxes. I'm going to talk about those people. If you find yourself saying those people, you should check yourself because those people are you. And whether they are coworkers at Walmart, they're the individual standing in line with you at that pharmacy, which is an extraordinary asset to a community, or they're the folks that you're working with at work. This notion of stop for a second and say to somebody, how are you doing? And really listen hard. And then think to yourself, how are you doing? Forget how you're telling people you're doing. What is waking you up at night? What are you stressed out about? Could you go on holiday right now without worrying about the people you're leaving behind? My guess is for the vast majority of people, that's a no. And so you already are walking a day in the shoes. You're just smashing it down into your belly and pretending that that anxiety is related to something else. Often it's related to the act of caring. And so if we just gave someone that moment of, oh my God, that is me too, that in and of itself begins to change culture because that makes you have empathy. And the second you have empathy, you stop, you know, waving your finger from on high and instead visual your, visualize yourself shoulder to shoulder with the people that you're serving. You're one of those people too. We're all in this together. We're way more alike than different. Yeah, I, you remind me of my, my history working in clinical practice. And I, I used to um, share bad news with patients. That was part of the job. Um, I always wanted to do it because I wanted to be good. And one of the things that I discovered subsequently was I wasn't any good, or at least I didn't feel like it because I hadn't personally experienced trauma or death in my own life until that happened when my parents died. And I, I, I'm thinking through your sort of compression or suppression of that, and I probably did, but I'm not sure that I was able to surface it. How do we do that? How, how do we bring this up so that people have that experience? I think the most foundational element of humanity is to care for others and be cared for ourselves. I think we all feel like we're doing a crap job at everything. And we all think we're the only one who's doing a crap job at everything. So I think if we, if we, I always think of it as rip out our entrails and offer to those around us, expose ourselves to the element, start every meeting or every interaction you have with the things that you're not doing well and invite other people. How are you doing? How can I support you? Right. I think vulnerability, transparency, authenticity, if we can create a world where we lead with with not showing off, with not pretending everything awesome, everything is not awesome for most people right now. Guess what? That means you're less alone. That means we have an opportunity to support each other in that. And there's nothing that fills any of us up more or faster than doing for others. We just live in a culture that keeps trying to pretend that's not true. So throw that culture away. Decide that you yourself are going to become an ambassador of loving on everybody fiercely. And I'm not saying that in a Pollyanna way. I'm saying hardcore, listen to what people need. Be that person who supports them. Be that person who puts yourself in uncomfortable situations. It'll make you healthier. And in the process, of course, it improves the health of those around you. Alex, thanks for joining me on the show. I'm so Thank you for everything you're doing and have done. This is such a pleasure. And um, I'm here to support you in any and all ways going forward. Thank you. I'm often asked why I chose medicine as my career. And while the words and story may be familiar, it boils down to wanting to help people. 
So perhaps my bias is at work here, but I believe there is no higher purpose than caring for others. I also believe that we all come with this sentiment and deliver on it in different ways contributing to our village. The act of giving makes us happy. Have you ever paid for someone's coffee or their toll at a toll booth? I have, and I can tell you it made me happy. We all have the capacity to contribute. It's just different for different people. We need to accept those differences and accept everyone for their part and contributions to our global village. Your better pill to swallow is to find your way to being uncomfortable in your work, in your home, in your life. Be vulnerable, transparent and authentic with everyone you interact with. Building the village community you want to be part of starts with you. Enable the caregivers in your world by acknowledging them and their contribution and provide the support, recognition and whatever resources you can. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.